0: Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today I welcome the gorgeous, the lovely Ashley Kellagian Blunt. Ashley is the author of How to Be Australian and My Name is Revenge. Her writing appears in the Sydney Morning Herald, Overland, Griffith Review, Sydney Review of Books, Australian Book Review, Kill Your Darlings and more. Ashley teaches creative writing and co-hosts Jame and Ashley Stay at Home, a podcast about writing, creativity and health. Today we come together to explore... explore dark mode welcome (laughs) thank you so much thank you for that amazing introduction Danny. I was just channeling those newsreader vibes so (laughs) you really were (laughs) so congratulations on the dark mode it is just not only a great book but it's so beautiful I remember a long time ago you showed me the cover and I was just like oh that is a beautiful cover so now it's out oh (laughs) <laughs> it
1: really is they really nailed the cover and it's not just like the, because the flowers on the front like you know the different flowers on it are so intricately tied to the plot so it's not just it's yeah. like just random
0: flowers that they chose it's like the colors a really, are gorgeous if you could organize yeah. to make me a dress that looks exactly mm. like that I'd be into that that is your costume <laughs> <laughs> now QBD book of the month amazing tell me about mm-hmm. this Thank you.
1: Yeah, really, really exciting. So uh, QBD, you know, often picks a crime book for their book of the month. And I really I wrote this book for crime readers. Like I am huge crime fiction fan myself. I wrote this book for fellow crime fiction fans. So it was really, really exciting when the QBD team decided that they wanted to share it with their, uh, their readership and their crime fiction following. So yeah, like, Previous books of the month have been
0: like Michael Robotham, JP Pomeray. So it's
1: really exciting to be part of that. It's really
0: exciting. I was really excited when I saw it for you. Oh, so <laughs> so <love> it. <laughs> now, give me an elevator pitch. I know everybody hates these, but we need one in case readers haven't got their hands on this yet or it's still sitting on their to be read pile.
1: Oh, no, I love it. I love the elevator pitch. So, Dark Mode is a psychological thriller with a dark web plot. It is set over a sweltering Sydney summer. The main character, Regan Carson, owns a failing boutique garden center where she grows very strange and obscure plants. In chapter one, she goes out for her morning run and finds the body of a woman who has clearly been murdered very close to her home. And she realizes that this woman looks very much like her and she starts to
0: fear that her past is catching up with her. That is an excellent and very creepy elevator pitch. (laughs) (laughs) now i'm so interested about the dark web did you actually do any research on this because i'm a bit terrified how how do you talk me through this how do you get on the dark web without you know i don't know getting too deep in it or getting arrested ashley i don't know tell me about it
1: (laughs) (laughs) i mean it is perfectly legal to use the dark web it's it's not you know it's not illegal it was actually created by the us navy about Mm -hmm. 20 years ago And the reason they created it is because they wanted a way to share highly confidential information and to be online without being, you know, without being trapped. And they, you know, if you take a needle and you put it in an empty room, it's very easy to find that needle. But if you take that room and you fill it with hay, then it's much, much harder. And that's effectively what the dark web is. Hmm. Everybody else using it is all the hay that is hiding U.S. military intelligence information. Um, so yeah, to perfectly legal, the reason that the dark web is is not something that the average internet user um, you know actually experiences is because you need special software to go on it. So you can't just access it through your regular browser. And you know, it's special software. I think I would call myself a very average average of skilled internet user. and this is just like it's just a little bit trickier. like you just gotta and obviously you've gotta be more careful because you go on the dark web and it's like, you know, who is? watching you on there potentially, who, like, what are you clicking on? So you have to sort of know what you're doing a little bit. Um, but that said, like, I have been on the dark web myself. One of the best things I did in COVID lockdown, the absolute best use of Zoom I have ever seen, was that a dark web journalist actually uh, did a workshop where she just toured us through the dark web on Zoom, which was great because it's zero risk and so interesting, you know, she took us to all the sites where you, like it kind of looked like really um,
0: low quality versions of Amazon. Okay. So I'm terrified. Um, I'm not going on the dark web, but I would like someone to take me through it via Zoom. That I'm interested in. Absolutely. So obviously you did a bit of that research when you did that, you know, dark web Zoom journey. Was that when this book was in your head already or did that trigger something?
1: Yeah, no, what actually triggered my interest in the dark web was that one day I uh, lost my driver's license a block from my house. I had gone to pick up a package and it must have fallen out of my pocket. And because I got the package, so clearly somewhere on the block home it fell out. But um, I couldn't find it. And I thought that my biggest problem was going to be replacing my license. And then the next morning I logged into the back end of my author website and it was just flooded with visits from Russia, China, and Ukraine. And I was like, what is going on here? Cause that's not my usual readership at all. Oh. So in doing, that's when I started doing some research being like, what is happening? And I immediately thought, I immediately found my driver's lessons. I was like, Oh no, like this is, this is so much worse than I thought it was. And most likely what happened is that someone found it. And instead of being a good neighbor and just putting it in my bloody mailbox, they took that information either they or someone they knew took that information and put it on a spreadsheet on the dark web where you can set like where they sell people's identity information and so obviously the details on your driver's license you know that's not your complete identity information like your email your phone number all kinds of other stuff isn't there so then um hackers were basically like looking for that information And of course the first place they're going to start is my website because i have a very identifiable surname come to my website, see if I'm, you know, foolish enough to post that kind of information on my website, which thankfully I'm not. But, they, you know, they would have kept looking in other places as well.
0: Wow. That is all types of scary. But it's really interesting because I think people are really interested in the dark web because I don't know how many people are familiar with it. I know I've heard about it and I've not ventured into it because, I I don't know how I'm, I'm a chicken. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> I do want to know though how this book was a different experience from writing your other books particularly you know the one that was um non-fiction
1: yeah so my previous book how to be australian was a memoir and it was also a completely different tone like it's also very comedic whereas dark mode is is not very overly comedic um so it was a completely different experience i think partly you know i had written how to be australian and i was really happy with it but had this Australian this what happened with that was I had been you know doing stand-up comedy I was really immersing myself in the comedy world and that's why I was writing this comedic book about you know moving from Canada to Australia and originally thinking that Australia was just hot Canada which it turns out it is not (laughs) um so but then I got sick I got sick in 2017 I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and I was like I was sick to the point that you know my whole life shut down I was effectively bed bound for a couple of years and I finished writing how to be Australian during that time. And, you know, it was like, you know, for a while, it was working in like little 15 minute pockets here and there when I had a clear enough head to think about it. But what happened was that I felt like my humor was completely busted. Like I felt like I just couldn't be funny anymore. And I still kind of feel like that to a degree. Like I, I don't feel like I could write a humorous book and I don't feel like I could write jokes to do stand-up still. So all the humor and how they started was before I got sick and all the really heartfelt parts were written after I got sick. And so I was like, okay, well, I need a different project. And part of what got me through the illness was that I was listening to just hundreds and hundreds of hours of true crime podcasts. And that was really helping me cope with being sick. And um, I, I have always been interested in crime fiction. I'm a huge crime fiction fan. And I felt like maybe it was time to just just try writing a crime fiction book. So this is, that was, I had all that crime, all that true crime information in my head and I thought, okay, I'm going to try this. And it was really an experiment. I was just like, I'm going to try writing a crime novel. If it works great, if it doesn't work, you know, I've got lots of other nonfiction projects I'd be really keen to try. So that was how I transitioned into crime.
0: That's really interesting. And what's really fascinating is the fact that, your situation and your health has impacted and driven your writing. I find that really fascinating, and I'm sure that happens with a lot of people.
1: Mm, yeah, it had it had such a huge effect because, like I said, I've always been a big crime fiction fan. But I felt like you need to know so much to write a, a successful novel, right? right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you want to know going about on. like investigations and forensics and how the police works and how the legal system works, and there's, there's just so many layers. But if you're not in that world, like how do you absorb all that stuff? Mm. And so I felt like kind of, I mean, obviously the illness was a horrible thing. It was awful, but also it just gave me a chance to completely immerse myself in the world of Mm. criminology.
0: I like that though. I like how, you know, you and I have both used those sort of chronic things that we deal with on a daily basis to drive something else. You know, my anxiety and I'd been quite sick with these really horrible chronic migraines where I was getting vertigo all the time led me to doing the podcast you know, and I'm not sure if these things would have occurred without that kind of really difficult circumstance, because you need to do something to sort of get you out of that dark hole. So I find that really interesting. And I've been thinking, actually, I had this question before, I thought, you know, I've been talking about my anxiety, I've been on your podcast about it, we talked about, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome, which is, you know, what you've been experiencing since 2017. And I thought, you know, you would think that maybe we'd be drawn to, you know, much funnier books. And I think I still am. Like, I love lots of genres. But if someone said to me, what is the genre that you most enjoy? It's always crime and it's always thriller. And I thought I, it was really interesting that those kind of books that are chilling and twisty and dark and, you know, there could be anxiety feeding they don't they kind of comfort me and I thought I wonder if that's the same thing with you um you know I saw your post today of being in bed because you had such a big you know couple of weeks with the launch of your book and I thought what is it about crime that comforts us when sometimes you know what we experience is quite hard
1: I I am so fascinated by this question I'm so glad you've asked this I um I have okay I have a theory so here's my theory which is that Uh, you know, we're dealing with our health issues, right? And we're fully immersed in that. And that that makes our lives very, very hard. And I have so many people who are dealing with so many different different health issues. I think there's something about uh, a criminal investigation, whether it's it's a true investigation or whether it's fiction. I think there's something about the structure of it. Because if we are, now I want to acknowledge there are lots of people who are victims of crime and very often women, very often people of color whose crimes are not investigated the way that they should be. So let's just put that up front. We're not talking about all crimes here, but if we're at the point where you and I are you know, hearing about this investigation, we're listening to a podcast about it, or we're watching a documentary about it, or we're reading a book on it at that point, so many people have been involved in addressing that crime, you know, trying to, trying to redress what has happened. So effectively, you know, someone has been victimized. Um, Like, let's say someone has been murdered. So you've got all these different police, you know, who have been investigating the crime. The higher profile it is, the more people who will be involved. Then you've got the whole legal system. There's all kinds of people who will be involved in, you know, can we get this, crime to trial can we can we put someone on trial for this you've got all the people in the media who are writing about this crime and probably some you know doing a better job than others i'm not saying they're all doing amazing at it and then you've got then you've got the layer of you know continued interest in what happened you know that one of the crimes the main crime the true crime that I draw on in dark mode is the Black Dahlia, the murder of Elizabeth Short in Los Angeles in 1947, which is this is more than 70 years later. And there's still vast, vast interest in her murder. It's still technically unsolved, although there are a lot of theories about who did it. And I tend to um, find one of those theories more convincing than others, which I go into in dark mode. So what I'm saying is that I think, I think when we're sick, I think we feel quite alone and we feel quite full. And I think there's a catharsis in hearing about how someone else who's put in a terrible position, and often a worse position than we're in, right? Because I would I would still take having chronic fatigue over being brutally murdered. All of these people have come together to try and redress it and help that victim. And I think, I think that's where the catharsis comes from
0: hmm I think you're right I think I think there's a couple of things to me and what you said you know is is absolutely true and I was thinking about it myself today because I don't even know if I actually have an answer for it but I thought I think it's a a distraction which is great for anxiety I think it's um being present because you have to be present because there's all these twists and turns and red herrings and all these things and so you're thinking about all these things so you have to be present and then I think there's that there's that system of justice because in crime fiction particularly not always in true crime but in crime fiction you're probably always going to have a particular resolution even if there's a cliffhanger or even there's something else going on you're always going to have that sense of justice at the end and i think when you are feeling particularly sick or vulnerable that conclusion or that justice is very comforting i think mm. yeah and you're, you're absolutely right that there is always an answer even if
1: we don't know it so even if, like, I listen to a lot of podcasts where you know someone's gone missing and they're still missing to this day, like there's no there's no answer provided in that story, in that narrative, in that podcast. But um, we know that there is an answer, like it's just waiting to be found. And if if someone who has the right information just comes forward at the right time, then then that will know what happened to this person. So I think, and like you said, that in terms of that distraction of paying attention to all the all the all the mm. clues and all the evidence and all the information. I think it's so interesting, you know, how uh, criminal investigations have evolved alongside technology over the decades. Yeah, and like hearing how that differs, you know, depending on whether this crime was committed, like say the Black Dahlia in the nineteen forties, um, compared to today. It's it's just really really interesting, and and I think maybe it's you know maybe you and I are in a privileged position because we we're able to be interested in this and use it as a distraction because we aren't close to someone who has been a victim of a you know a terrible violent crime yeah um i think it probably would be different although that said i mean my great grandparents were survivors of genocide and you know my great-grandfather watched his entire family be brutally murdered in front of him and uh, that really uh, drove an interest for me in the Armenian genocide i spent 10 years researching and writing about it and led to my first book. So wow. And obviously there's, you know, some some distance between me and my great-grandfather. Yeah, but yeah. But well, it's interesting
0: you say that my grandparents were in um they were prisoners of war in um Indonesia. So it's really interesting that you know, we sort of come from these very parallel um, ideas of, of history, and you know, kind of leads you to these places. And what and maybe, I find, yeah, so go ahead. I'll just find really interesting that I have read many times that particularly anxiety is passed down on like this cellular level. Yes. And I just find that so fascinating because of the anxieties that my grandparents went through when they were prisoners of war for five years each, and I think you know, and then they became refugees, and it's like. I think there's some truth to that anxiety being um, imprinted in your DNA.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, yeah, epigenetics is such an interesting field looking at, at what gets passed down. I think also starvation, um, I, I, I suspect, gets passed down through yeah. families and trauma gets passed down. Wow. Um, but I was going to say, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, <laughs> oh, no, no, that's okay.
0: <laughs> That is okay you remember just yeah. slot it in just segue yeah. in there. Yeah. for those um listening we've actually been talking while my children have been coming down and saying good night and my daughter's come down crying and we've just we've just pushed on ashley we have just muted you've kept talking i really appreciate that but it's a really um indicative sign of my life today yeah. so Thank you, for just Keep on, keep on pushing on with this interview. Oh,
1: it's so sweet seeing you with your kids, Danny. It's really, really lovely. I'm
0: sorry, your daughter's upset though. Oh, she's just had a fight with a brother. It's a you know every five minute occurrence, so it's all good. And in ten minutes, I'll go sort that out.
1: And the, and the point that I was going to make in terms of your family um, having survived being prisoners of war and my family with the Armenian genocide is, I think perhaps there's also an interest in sort of understanding at a remove the kind of resilience that it takes mm. to to witness those kind of events and overcome those kind of events and move on with life because yeah. people people do they go
0: on with their lives I and love being- that actually because I've only actually thought about trauma and anxiety being passed on but maybe resilience is passed on as well and that's why even with the things that we live with daily we push through them isn't that amazing mm. that's a really positive thing isn't it I love mm-hmm. that yeah yeah Hmm. well I just wanted to explore that tonight because that question emerged in my brain so I was like oh I need to explore this with Ashley um you know last time we talked about getting bitten by huntsman spiders which you can (laughs) by the way I don't care if you're a doctor of spiders you can get bitten because we both have um I still tell people that story and they look at me like I'm lying I'm like I'm not it 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 happened all right
1: (laughs) and I'm glad I'm glad you're an Aussie saying that because I say that as a foreigner and Aussies look at me like, you don't know
0: what you're talking about. <laughs> I literally watched it walk over my toe and bite me. So it def- definitely happened, <laughs> That story still upsets me. It still upsets me to this day. I not need to convince you. You're the converted. <laughs> 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 now, with such an intricate book, with such, you know, a topic, dark web, that is a, still a little bit, you know, hidden and secretive and a little bit scary, if I'm honest um what were the challenges in writing dark mode
1: well the first challenge was that I think I was uncertain about making it crime fiction so at first one of the things I was really interested in that has did not end up in dark mode at all is China's social credit system and so I was trying to write this sort of like I started off writing this sort of black mirror-esque sort of like social credit system but set in Australia and my writer's group feedback was that it just like it just wasn't working. It just wasn't working. And I realized it's like, you know, this isn't quite my genre. This isn't what I read. And I, I don't think it's wise to necessarily try to write something that you're not already immersed in yeah. as a reader. So then it then it shifted, it became a little bit more sort of general commercial fiction, sort of Gail Honeyman-esque. And I, you know, it was sort of heading in the, the, that direction. But again, I think I was still just really, really hesitant to 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 say, like, no, I'm gonna try crime writing. Because I think the thing about if I'd failed at those other things, you know, if I'd written a whole manuscript and failed at it, it wouldn't have hurt. But uh if I if I wrote a crime novel and I and I failed miserably at it, I think that would have that would have really taken something out of me. <laughs> so I think that's that's where my hesitation was coming from. So that was the first challenge. But then there's a particular twist in dark mode. There's a particular moment that, you know, as an avid crime fiction fan, I was like, I have never seen that particular thing before. And I was like, I wonder if I could, like, what pieces would I need to put into place to make that happen? And I sort of built the book out from there. Wow. The other big challenge was the opening chapters because you need to get readers on board. You know, with a crime novel, all this stuff has happened. And you need to get readers on board and up to speed and to get to know the characters. And so those first, the first half of the book, and specifically the first 10 chapters, I rewrote multiple times. Whereas the second half of the book, pretty much from the first draft, the, the mechanics were there. And then it was like tinkering with them, making them stronger, making them, you know, making the pace faster.
0: But those, man, those first 10 chapters,
1: <laughs> very hard.
0: I often think though, it's the first chapter or first 10 chapters that really set the rest of the book up. So I often think you do spend a lot of time in that area. And then you're like, oh, okay, I've got it. The characters, the setting the tension, et cetera. Now I can carry on. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and what I've found now that I'm writing my next psychological thriller, what I've realized my process is, is that I'll start, I'll start with the manuscript. I'll write about 40,000 words. And that it, it takes me about that long to figure out what I'm doing with it. Like, even though I, you know, I have sort of a macro plan, like with, with this one, I started with a one page synopsis, but in terms of like, how is this actually going to work on the page, get to that 40,000 word mark. And I scrap almost all of it. I just chuck it all out. Both times I've saved about roughly 10,000 words. Um, and then I just restart again. Cause
0: now I know what I'm doing and now I'm ready to actually write a first draft their functions. Mm, I like that. I liked what you said before about feedback as well from your writers group, because I think feedback is absolutely invaluable, but I also think at first it's hard to hear, right? I just had this meeting with my publisher about my first, you know, JFIC, and it was really hard to hear the feedback. So I'm like, oh, I thought this was really good. (laughs) And then I sort of accepted it graciously, I hope. Um, And then I went away and started putting into practice what he'd said. And I was like, oh, damn it. He's right. Like, this is so much better now. So feed, feedback's an interesting thing where it's kind of, it's not, I don't want to say it's upsetting because I actually really enjoy feedback, but it's a bit confronting, I think, or uncomfortable even. And then when you kind of walk away from that feedback, you're like, oh, yeah, like, are they were right. And that's kind of what happened to you with your first idea. And I,
1: I'm so interested in in this process of feedback because I'm a huge advocate for like having a really robust writer's group get really rigorous informed feedback yeah yeah and I think I think the thing that we need to remember is that when we've written something we took that from a blank page to what wherever it is now and like that's a big process right Mm -hmm. like we've put a lot into that And it's so easy for someone else to come in and look at where it's at now. They've put no thought into this previously, right? So they're coming at it completely fresh. They see it totally different. They don't see all the effort we put in. So then they're able to go, oh, well, what if you did this? And this bit doesn't quite make sense. And what if you did that? And for us as the person who created it, of course that's gonna, you know, as even if they're 100% right, which they often are, because they've got that fresh insight, there is, a, there is, I think, a psychological impact to being like, oh, but I worked so hard on that. Mm, mm. So but I always, like, when I get a big true. edit, I always give myself 48 hours. I think I'm you like, do. I know it's going to hit me hard. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to read the feedback, take 48 hours to just, like, psychologically
0: process
1: it. Yep, and then come back to it. And then I come back to it with a totally different mindset. Then you I'm do. like, oh, wow, like this is going to make it, like you said, make yeah. it so much better. Because at
0: first you're like, really? Are you sure? Yeah. And then you walk away and go, <laughs> they were totally spot on. What was I thinking? So, but I, I do, I really do encourage those robust, frank, uncomfortable conversations about feedback because it's all about getting the best possible piece of work you can get. And so I would, I would actually be insulted if someone I knew or my publisher didn't give me that robust, frank feedback because even if it stings, it's for the good of what you're producing. So I think it's so important. It never gets easier, re- but <laughs> the great thing about having a writers group is that I can I'm getting feedback from multiple people. Mm, so so that's like, hard
1: if, too, right? Well, then... I I prefer it because it's. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's it's different. Like if I'm getting feedback from my publisher, obviously, like we're working on this project together. It's a different relationship. But with the writers group, I like getting the multiple viewpoints because, like, if one person says something. And everybody else says something different. I'm like, okay, like I can, you know, think about that. But if everybody says the same yeah, thing, okay, I and mean, then I'm like, okay, a hundred percent, this is not working. <laughs> I have to change this. Cause there's, there's certain things like, you know, certain comments that people made about dark mode, like in my writer's group that I thought, oh, I can see why you're saying that. But I also don't think in terms of thinking about the book as a whole, I don't think I need to do that. Like, and that's the skill, isn't it? The, skill, to isn't it? the yeah.
0: skill is to filter that feedback you know and go okay this is right for because you still got to have that vision that you have of the book you know so that's a skill in itself in taking all that feedback but then filtering it and going oh yes yes maybe no yes maybe no it's really interesting process but yeah it's funny I'm just in that process right now where I had some really uncomfortable feedback two days ago okay yeah all right you're in that 48 hour period (laughs) you know my publisher doesn't hold any punches right and um and so it's only sort of last night I started hacking away at like oh damn you he was right so but it's it's going to be a better book hopefully couldn't be worse than what I originally wrote so (laughs) (laughs) now Ashley I need to ask you again I've asked you this before but I think it changes and evolves as we do as the things we live with grow and evolve why do you write
1: Ah, oh, I love this question. I write to connect with people. And that like it has been so rewarding putting dark mode out into the world because I wrote it for such a specific readership. And what I did with this book, because this is this is my my third published book, but it is the seventh book that I've written. And I really specifically picked a few models uh, in terms of in terms of authors that I love. Mm-hmm. So my models for this book were a few a few books from Candace Fox. Uh, the works of Tana French, specifically her police procedurals and, and J.P. Pomeroy's books. And it was those three authors that I was like, okay, I'm writing for their readership. I want the people who love their books to love this book. I want to them to have the same excitement that I have when I read their books. And so it's been amazing. You know, Dark One's only been out for two weeks at this point and just it's really fantastic seeing those people respond. Like I wrote it for a particular readership and it's connecting with them and they're excited about it. And people are, you know, texting me to say that they started reading the book in the afternoon and they just had to stay up until they finished reading it because they just like, <laughs> they, they had to know what happened. They couldn't put it down. And I love that feeling. And that's, you know, what I was hoping to achieve. But yet as the writer, you don't, you don't know because it doesn't feel like that for you so it's yeah it's been it's been really rewarding and I'm so excited to connect with those readers and now they're telling me what their favorite crime books are and I've got I a love big that. list of recommendations and I'm just like
0: yes yeah it's an awesome community I mean the book community I always say it's one of the best communities now what I am a little sad about Ashley is that when you had your book launch in Sydney I was in Melbourne when you were in Melbourne having your book, book launch I went back to Sydney so I'm very sorry I, I, I was like oh, well, it just didn't work so you know I would absolutely love to have been there but i was watching very enviously um on all the social media posts so congratulations on the massive few weeks you've had the launch you know book of the month with qbd and just this magnificent book you've got i think you know you should be really proud of what you've achieved and i think it's amazing so well done Oh, thank you so
1: much, Danny. And I do have more events coming up. Uh, So you can go to my website and check
0: the events page there. I've got more events coming up. Great plug, Ashley. I will definitely go to (laughs) the website as I'm not going to the dark web and I will check out all those events and I will see you at one.
1: (laughs) Yes, I am on the clear web. I am not on the dark web. So, yes. (laughs) Just access Ashley
0: collegian lunch on the dark web. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I don't want to know what's there. (laughs) And see where her events are. (laughs) Thanks, Ashley. Thanks so much, Danny.